I'd buy that for a dollar. Would you? What, what commercial is that? Uh, Robocop. <laughs> it's from Robocop. Is the remake bad? Yes. Very yeah. bad? Yeah, it's not worth your time. Okay. Have you seen the original? Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, okay. My favorite part's where they shoot him with a shotgun like 50 million times and he just obliterates him. Yeah, the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, holy shit, that's Red Foreman. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, Red is... Kurtwood Smith. Has he been in a lot besides a that? A lot. Really? He is a prolific, prolific actor. Who would win in a death match? Him or John Locke from... Loss. Uh, from Lost. Oh. They got the same haircut. Boy, yeah. Same body and frame. And then you could throw... If Mike from Breaking Bad lost a few pounds, you could throw him in that uh, in that pool too. <laughs> I like putting old people in death matches together. Yeah, like, uh, like I really want. I, I comment. I want David Blaine and Chris Angel to fight. Of course, like, like if wizards. Celebrity Deathmatch was still around today, yeah. I'm sure they would be uh, on there. The uh, John Locke, his best movie that I have seen is The Stepfather. Oh, you seen that? Which one? He. So he's basically, I don't even know if you could even pull this off, but he's basically, he keeps getting remarried and then Did this kills come the out family. in like 2009? No, no, this is like 80s maybe. Okay, okay. Yeah, he actually has hair in it. Because there's um, a movie that came out in 2009 that's probably a remake of this. It probably yeah. is. Yeah, in the original Stepfather, he's great. I don't know, like, the beginning scene is he he's shaving he just killed his whole family and then he just assumes the new identity i don't know if you can even pull that off that's a that's gonna be a tough even in the 80s that's gonna yeah. be a toughie like he literally just walks out the front door there's neighbors everywhere and he's uh. like waving like i think they might notice you after you just you know committed film familicide there they might notice you're missing and <laughs> yeah. uh, the police might look for you or something you know what I started watching again last night? I wonder what your feelings are. The Resident Evil first movie. I just watched that because it was on Amazon Prime. I, I kind of like it. I watched it for the first time. Oh, this is the first time? I've seen, like, all the other ones, <laughs> no. and they're all awful. Yeah. So I figured the first one was, too. But guess what? That's a movie. That is, this is a good one. I, I, I remember when it, because I... I think I might have went to the theater and saw that uh-huh. originally. Well, yeah, you were a huge Rez E fan. Yo, yeah, I was in high school, I think, when it came out. And uh, I remember thinking, I'm like, why didn't they just follow the video game story? Because it's a great story. <laughs> I was so confused because <laughs> I thought Miva Vovovich was uh, uh, Jill Valentine or Claire Redfield or something. Mm. But it turns out she's n- nothing. She's like, well, they morph her into like a umbrella corporation kind of like diademi god or something is she ever in the games no alice yeah that is so stupid what is the point they just made a zombie movie and put or like an infection movie i don't even think they're zombies right no they're zombies oh they're dead bodies yeah okay well the 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 computer kills everybody and he releases the t-virus then they come back. Okay. It's got the dog. So it's not a virus like 28 Days Later. It's a, no. uh, well, it's actual reanimation of the dead. And Las Plagas is a virus, too. Well, I think it's all the same virus. The T-virus. That's the diff- the- there's there's two different zombie types. All right? Oh, okay. There's okay. the types that are a virus where they could like be cured, like a rage virus mm-hmm. or something, where they're still hearts beating humans mm-hmm. and then there's zombie zombies which is reanimated dead like george romero yeah so. but I, I think what reanimates them is umbrellas 
virus, whether it's a virus or not. Okay. I, I don't know, but but their hearts aren't beating. They're dead. I, I don't think they ever discussed that in well, Resident Evil. Well, I, think it's is... just, I think it's just people who are alive again. And then right. they have all these weird mutant things like the hunters and the uh, the crocodile in number two. I don't and like that, that crocodile. <laughs> I like in the original game, he's kind of an asshole. But in the, the remake, I like I think his scene's kind of fun. Oh, really? you're just running from him, and then, of course, he magically bites down on a natural gas line yeah. to blow his head off. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty sweet. It scared me in the original one. We, you and I were watching that video of that Asian kid playing it, and he keeps, like, scooting the character slowly <laughs> along because he's so scared. <laughs> that was a great video. That's me and even me with the dogs in the hallway of the first one. So you haven't played any of the remakes? Uh-uh. I mean, those scare me even a little bit. Yeah, then no way. Uh, I, Alien Isolation actually has scared me a little bit. Have you finished it? I finished it. Very boy. Because I played it on hard, mm-hmm. and they ain't playing around. You know what I died to the most to is the fucking face huggers. Uh-huh. Because the, you can not you can hear them slightly. You hear that noise, and but you can't usually see them. And if you don't kill them within seconds, it's instant death. Mm-hmm. So you're like... Turn around, and all of a sudden you're dead. God damn it! You're you're a new mommy. The uh, but they they added uh, you can kind of play as the original crew, like you have uh, God uh, what the why can't I think of her goddamn name? Ripley. Ripley, and then the the Texas captain guy. Uh, you can play as him. Yeah. And uh, the other crew played members. by um, Viper from Top Gun. What's his name? Yes, I know, I know who you're talking. Mark about. Scarrett. Tom Scarrett. <laughs> Tom Skerritt. Okay, what movie is that from? They're like, they're in some guy's house and he just randomly has a picture of Tom Skerritt there. I don't know. I don't uh, know. What movie is Is that Ted? I think that is Ted. Maybe it's Ted. And he's like, why do you have a picture of Tom Skerritt? <laughs> why don't you? True. True. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about this week? It's me. What we're doing is we're pretending that the first two Espinoza episodes didn't exist at mm, all mm. because at some points the audio was as much as a second behind on one of our tracks. I don't even know if that's at some point. I think it was the whole thing. It didn't make sense. And it really, <laughs> what those episodes were, were benchmarks to that proved we need better equipment and, yeah. and to step our game up in order to, uh, to be serious. That was, was it the first episode Jordan was here? That's right. I think That's so. Right. And we were trying to finagle stuff, and it was just... And then it got to the third one, and I was like, well, what's the point? This story yeah. doesn't make sense because none of the audio makes sense. Yeah. So don't listen to those ones. I don't know if we'll keep them up. I assume we will. I don't know why we wouldn't. <laughs> well, that's when... I, for, I should thank everybody for all the nice messages of all the people who have saying, hey, I just found your podcast or whatever. I'm listening to it. I love it. When they say that, and I'm like, I'm, they're starting from the beginning, I'm kind of like, please skip. I think it's like episode not eight and nine, yep. or nine and ten. I'm or, like, just skip yep. those, because we're killing it, and then all of a sudden that comes out, and I'm like, I love the story, yep. but it sounds like you're in an echo chamber, and it's just not great. Oh, it's and trying good. to piece that thing together was, yeah. uh, I, I, I was really hitting my head against the wall looking at an Audacity file for the, a while. The other thing is... We get a lot of comments from Canadian listeners about the beaver tails thing, and this is where it originated from. Mm. 
Remember? They, mm. They're like, ooh, the beaver tail's this delectable Canadian dessert. But in this, they're, I think they're actually eating beaver's tails. Hacking, real beaver's hacking tails. Hacking and eating them right out of the right. dam. You oh, betcha. Yeah. And that's when we wanted to taste it. Then there's 50 bucks for one of those goddamn things. And that, I don't even know if I'd want to taste. Uh, <laughs> it seems fatty. Mm. A little fatty. I need Josh mm. to get us one. Mm. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So let's hop right into this son of a bitch, shall we? Let's do it. We opened in the center of Colorado. 1863 on the front range of the Rockies. Spring was upon the valley where the Arkansas River cut its way through the mountains. The Priest family were moving to their new home in Sawmill Gulch, where they had acquired a claim to improve the land. Before they got too comfortable, they had to settle the property. Sawmill Gulch got its name because five enterprising men were building a mill there. One of them was named Uncle Henry Harkins. (laughs) He had a long and friendly history with the Priest family, as did the property's owner, Murdoch McPherson. Have you ever met anybody with the last name Priest? Never. Okay. I was just wondering, what if they went to, like, a seminary school? Like, Priest Malcolm Priest. Priest Malcolm Priest. Or I guess Priest. it'd be, Fri- like, Father Malcolm Priest. Friar Henry Priest, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they have to be religious at so- uh, some kind of Catholic, the, right? The only thing I can think of is Priest Holmes. I think that's his name. Do you remember him? Definitely. He's a hell of a running back. I don't know about uh, guessing in the 1800s he could tear it up. Oh, he would hit every Kill gap. everybody. Yes. Almost three years before, in 1861... Harkins and McPherson had set out in a wagon train headed by Franklin Bruce from Wisconsin to prospect for gold in the Colorado Territory, specifically at the two mining camps of Buckskin Joe and Mosquito (laughs) in the California Gulch. I love those names. (laughs) This is where the Priest family met them both, as they were already working there. After a reunion drink and a meal, Harkins led the Priest to their new home a mile from the site of the unfinished sawmill. I, if, I suppose it would make sense to have a home close to a sawmill, right? Definitely. And make it easier on you. We, we watched the, uh, what's the Alaska one where they, the goal is for them to move there, cut trees down, build their home before winter sets in. Do you know what show I'm talking about? Uh, uh, I remember the commercials for it. I just, all Wild I, Alaska, that's not it. But. <laughs> all I can think about is probably some incest going Homesteaders. on here. Homesteaders. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As it so happens, Wagon Master Bruce and his clan were farming a claim not 20 miles away from Sawmill Gulch on a piece of land called Hard Scrabble. <laughs> on the other. Who names this shit? It's not. I mean, it, I wouldn't want to try and make a farm there, that's for sure. <laughs> Hard Scrabble was on the other side of the Arkansas River for them. The Bruces had settled there immediately after abandoning Buckskin Joe and the entire Gold Rush in general. So far, the Bruce clan had successfully raised crops for two seasons and were planning to expand their operations. Is this, this isn't like the origin story for Nebraska, is it? This might as well be. <laughs> this is like the daughters of Lot giving birth to a whole new tribe, mm. and they're just trying to see what works on this fucking crazy what, land they have. What if this whole story was literally about how the Cornhuskers football team got started? And then, what is their stadium called? I can't even remember. I don't, Lincoln, no, that's the name of the town. <laughs> Lincoln, I bet Lincoln never even visited there. Like, Mr. Mister Abraham? Yeah, he's like, too fucking boring here. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't. I don't mm. think I would. Have you ever driven through Nebraska? No, but I've heard it's boring. There's Bianca nothing there. said it's very boring. There ain't nothing there. 
It's and like they, driving through Iowa. Well, that's what she said, and I said, I'm very offended. <laughs> I love Iowa, even though Phil and I literally roasted the shit out of Iowa yesterday. And you ran away from there as we, soon as possible. We were talking about uh, the citizens of Iowa coming out of their house when they see a, a plane flying over Tom sick it's a flying oh, witch. Oh, shoot it. Kill it. Kill it. It's trying to hex us. <laughs> Bruce's property extended all the way to the river, and he had intentions to set up a sawmill to build tools and sell them to the miners. Although there's no way to tell for certain, it seems like all of these former friends, miners, acquaintances had settled so close to each other by complete coincidence. What we can say for certain, however, is the white population, which was already tiny, was continuing to plummet year after year. In 1860, there were 43,500 whites counted. A year later... 25,331. That's almost half the population. Why were the mighty whites running scared from the Colorado Territory, you may ask? No mayonnaise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the mining fad hit its peak in 1862, and the only viable mining left was hard rock mining, which required costly equipment and incredibly skilled labor. The dreams of standing by the stream and getting gold nuggets in your colander were dashed. Mm, okay, so what are you going to say what's in the hard rock mining here? So hard rock mining, what that means is you're actually going into mountains. You're and creating mine shafts. Gotcha, yeah. okay. And you need like excavation equipment for that and mm. dynamite. and. This is how calluses get formed. That's it. Right. You're not just standing there with your waders on. Uh, <laughs> oh, look at that. With no teeth on. Asking, got any luck over there, Billy Bob? <laughs> Disgraced gold miners gave up and returned from whence they came or at least found more stable employment. These cowards were known as go-backers by the salty (laughs) bastards committed to big fortune. Another portion of the whites were being drawn back home either to slaughter Native Americans or to fight for their respective sides in the Civil War. See, that was my first guess why they were leaving. The natives were killing the shit out of them. Yeah. On Wednesday, March 18th, the priests were grinding away on their claim. Specifically, they were helping Uncle Harkins, McPherson's, Bassett, and the sawmill boys hack a road (laughs) through the property while the owners of the mill and hired laborers worked on the mill itself. Harkins was daubing the logs on the walls and hanging blankets on the doorways to keep in some warmth. At quitting time, McPherson and Bassett decided to go check on the priest's progress while Uncle cooked up some supper for everybody. When the pair returned from the priests, they were starving and expected to find delicious steaming supper waiting for them, but instead, they only saw a pitch-black cabin. They reasoned that since Uncle had just daubed the logs and hung blankets... They likely wouldn't be able to see the light anyways, so they walked in closer. What would he be having for supper? I just imagine a big cast iron bucket of just whatever they had just thrown in there. Like uh, at the campsite in Red Dead 2. Yeah. That's... What, that gives you like plus two HP or something, doesn't it? It fills you up completely. And it's it delicious give, stew. It gives you a stat bonus, doesn't oh, it? Oh, yes. It gives you the yellow. Mm. But you can only eat it once a day, I think. Yeah. Apparently, Don't even co- try and go back. I was, I was going to say, apparently it's not powerful enough to cure that tea disease. <laughs> <laughs> About six feet from the door laid Uncle Henry Harkins. His head and skull were split open with an axe, and he had two nasty gashes on his right breast. McPherson drew his pistol, cocked it, and cautiously pushed aside the blanket door. There was no one in the cabin, but everything was topsy-turvy. 
I mean, yeah, you don't expect to come home and see that. You don't expect to see Uncle splayed out. I don't expect anybody to have their head split open. The cabin had been plundered, including a 100-pound sack of flour being upended all over the place. Because of the times and the racism, McPherson thought, These woods was full of Indians, and we expected to be scalped at any minute. I mean, he probably should have been. I mean, once flour hits the ground, you can't use it. No, that's done, Steve. It's just, you gotta throw it away. Yeah. What, I don't want to get salmonella. Well, if you dump flour on the floor, you try to sweep it up, like, you just got dirt and shit in there. Yeah. Can't, yeah, you can't even cook that out, I don't... I don't even think you can put that through a sifter and get that out of no, there. No, no, no. You got pubes all up in there. Now that you have a cat... Yeah. My greatest enemy is... Before, when I dropped something on the ground, I could follow the five-second ru- rule... Now when I drop something on the floor, it's basically just a furry piece of food that I pick up again. Yep. Just hair everywhere. Yeah, that's done. Bastards. I dropped my Danish on the floor the other day. ago. Like the good part of the Danish where all the good shit is. Yeah, you ate around it. You yeah. got. To, you were like, I'll just eat this dry pastry <laughs> and get to the good ass middle part. At least I picked it up and I gave Sophie a dirty look and I said, God damn it. Yeah. You didn't want me to enjoy the cream cheese filling, you son of a bitch. And what did she say? She just kept sleeping. Yeah. Like cats do. Worthless. <laughs> the boys hauled ass in a panic back to the priests, where they gasped out the story. According to the youngest son of the priest named Henry's journal, <clears throat> Father wanted to go right over and put the body in the cabin where it would be safe from wild beasts. But Mother, McPherson, and Bassett were so frightened and sure he had been killed by Indians, they wouldn't let him go. So, we stood guard all night until daybreak, when Father took off for the nearest ranch, which was about five miles away. Jesus Christ, that's that's not near at all. When he told the rancher about killing, they then had a ride to the town of Fountain, which was about five miles away. By noon, 25 men were at our house, and we went all over the mill to see what happened. We found Harkins had been shot in the middle of the head with a Colt Navy revolver. Then the murderers had taken an axe and split his head open from the top of the mouth. And then, judging from the appearance of his head and the axe, they smashed him on each side of the head with the blunt of the axe. And two pieces of skull and his brain lay on the ground at the top of his head. Jesus. He was also stabbed twice in the left breast. Two four-inch gashes about three inches apart. Okay, so if your head is essentially like a croissant being cut open, I yeah. don't know if you need to be stabbed as well. Speaking of Danishes, okay. Uncle Uncle Henry Harkins sort of looked like one. I don't know. Yeah, he didn't need all of that stuff. The shot to the head is what killed him. Speaking of luckily, re- speaking of Resident Evil, I think don't one when, when you shoot their head, sometimes don't they like split open and then there's like another monster that comes out of them? Yeah, the Lost Plagueis. Yeah, yeah, so maybe that I don't, I don't know. It's the axe is a very popular weapon in this frontier time times. Yeah. yeah, so I get, thank God we don't sell axes like that anymore. Everybody had one. Everybody needed one. Just remember, you didn't have no gosh damn central heating, my friend. You had a fire. You had to burn your house to heat it. Right. You know, the last time I seen someone with an axe was Jeffrey. Uh-oh. My, uh, <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> well, we had a stump in the backyard, and he was just hacking the shit out of that. He loved every minute of it. Did he get it up? He did. He Wonderful. Did. He, was, he was sore. 
Oh, but yeah. But he got it up. It was oh, great. Oh, yeah. It was great. Calloused and sore, I'm sure. The 25 men searched the surrounding areas and made sure the murderers had left the area and then set upon the sad task of digging a grave for Uncle. While doing so, two riders came down the road at a fast gallop and identified themselves as the Sheriff of Fairplay and his deputy. They reported they were on the trail of two men that killed their old wagon train leader, Frank Bruce, at his millhouse the day before Harkins and at about the same time of day. We got a Wild West serial killer. Kind I'm of. thinking so. Okay. I mean, can you imagine being at this time? You can just be galloped upon by two men claiming to be the sheriff, and you have no fucking idea if they actually are or not. Seriously. It's just... And with active killers on the loose, they're looking at their dead friend Harkins, and two guys are just riding up. <laughs> That's going to scare I'm you. I'm the sheriff. Sure you are, bucko. <laughs> the sheriff and his deputy didn't stay long, and they lit off on the trail again. The party made as best a grave as they could and left this simple headstone. Henry Harkins murdered Wednesday Eve, March 19th, 1863. I kind of want... I can't... Do I, you want that on your tombstone? Like the Eve. Pepperoni and cheese. The Eve of when you died. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. What do you call it if you died? Is it... What if you died in the morning? Is it morning of Wednesday? Yeah. The morn. Okay. All right. Oh, what a beautiful morn. <laughs> Is that the frog? Uh, yes, it is now. It's WB okay. no, Frog. Yeah, I, I hate that fucking thing. <laughs> that racist-ass frog. He was on, in the very intro of the Little Giants VHS, oh. you had to watch that son of a bitch oh. dancing and singing, and I hated it. I oh. didn't care about this fucking frog. I just want to watch this movie about exploited children playing football. Little Giants is good. It is good. Soon afterwards, Sawmill Gulch had been, for all intents and purposes, renamed Dead Man's Canyon, and it was officially named that in 1870. We need to bring this edgy naming of places back, please. Back then, out west, things were named, <laughs> like, there's there's mountains called the Grand Tetons, mm. and that's like the Big Titty, that's what that <laughs> means, like Big Titty Mountains, so that's what things were called, like Ass Crack Mountain and shit. We don't have anything edgy or cool named here. No, now it's all PC. No, they they we... even got rid of Lake Calhoun because he was a terrible slave over owner. I mean, that pro is probably about time for that. Now get it's, rid of him. Now it's Lake uh, Bidet Makaska. We're all them U of M hipsters. What are they going to call now? Going oh. up to Lake Calhoun? Going up to Lake Calhoun? I'm going to ride my kayak and have this brew or this the craft beer. Iron House beer. And... <laughs> I don't know. What do they rename it to? Uh, Bidet Makaska. It's a uh, uh, native. Ah, thing. okay. I love the name, but those kids are never going to be able to pronounce that. No, I can't. Thirteen days later, as soon as the homesteaders in the Colorado Territory were starting to let down their guard, John Adelman was murdered. Adelman is forgotten to history. His hair color, skin color, every feature you can think of is not remembered. Adelman lived alone for 50 miles in every direction. He was a hay farmer and operated a mail station, serving as the halfway point between Colorado City and Terriol. Okay, I mean, that's kind of the career I'm looking for, hay farmer or mail operator. Alone in every direction for uh, 50 miles. <laughs> maybe not that. <laughs> At but, least put uh, a Domino's out here or something. You know, the only w only place you can find that type of lifestyle. Now, this is my cousin who works at the, in the oil rig, like, way north in Alaska, right? Mm. He was like the oily, oil refinery something another. He was a driver, and he was the post office deliverer or something. Wow. So, 
it's kind of like ancient frontier times up there. That's what he does now. That's exactly what that is. (laughs) Alaska is the last frontier. (laughs) On March 31st, Mr. Rove, one of the mail runners between the two cities, rode up to the house, eager to take his 50-mile break, have something to eat, and most importantly, get off his horse for a while. However, he saw Adelman's door was open and there were signs of disorder, so he got the hell out of there. Smart move, man. When the sheriff and six men arrived to Adelman's ranch, they found this was exactly the same as the others. Now that there were three confirmed slangs, the two newspapers in the region, the News Weekly and the Weekly Commonwealth, started ramping up the paranoia in an attempt to outsell each other, whipping up the local yokels into a fervor. The News Weekly had this to say about the incident. Mr. Adelman had been shot, but a short distance from the house, with two balls going through his heart. And what seems more horrible, those fiends incarnate seems to have worried their victim as the cat does the mouse before killing him. I love that. (laughs) Mr. Adelman was a young man of great respectability, well known here, and as would be neutral, his horde... And as would be natural, his horrid murder followed so soon as the others has caused great excitement amongst the people here. I I don't like that. Like, there's a dead man. It's causing great excitement around here. I just met, is everybody high-fiving outside of his house? What's going on here? Outside of the newspaper offices, they are. (laughs) I guess. Because guess what? Now there's some goddamn excitement, and they can charge their four cents for a newspaper or whatever it is. I feel like newspapers during this time... Probably got excited when there wasn't a murder to write about. Yeah. They're like, God damn it. Thompson's dead. (laughs) Ed's dead. God, can I write about an old lady who got ran over by a wagon (laughs) going across the street or something? Or like a new candy store opening? Yeah. Can we just write about something that isn't dead people everywhere? (laughs) Like, I just envision everybody during this time just, like, dead people everywhere. I want to write a story about how all girls need to be married by 13 or else they'll die alone. (laughs) (laughs) Or how uh, someone was magically cured of the clap somehow. Uh uh (laughs) I don't know how he did it, but goddammit, he don't have the clap no more. Way before penicillin. (laughs) Yeah. Jacob Binkley and Abram Shoup were headed to the New Mines in Bannock, Montana, where there had been several claims of gold-rich deposits on the riverbanks. They set out from the lower end of South Park on Tuesday, April 7, 1863. On Wednesday, Shoup and Binkley drove past the Kenosha House, a tavern and inn frequented by travelers going from Denver to South Park. Mm, Sounds like my type of place. Hell yeah. Like a cool little roadhouse, like on uh, Game of Thrones, you know, they come across a... You just have soup somewhere random? Yes! Hell yeah. Dirty water soup is what it looks like. You know what I was thinking about what you just said here? So... Essentially, you're following leads based off uh, word of mouth, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone, a messenger, came to the house on horseback and told us, hey, the, the iTunes reviews are good for the taken over here in, like, South... Bannock, Montana. Yeah, <laughs> we'd have to get on our horses and head over there to get the iTunes reviews. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we find a nice few Kenosha Roadhouses yeah. on our way. And those Spotify follows are crazy down there in Kansas, man. You gotta head down there in the middle of month. <laughs> <laughs> we go there. Yeah. We start going there and other podcasters are heading back from... The, they're like, it's a bus. It's all dried up. It's all dried I've I've heard the Patreon followers are really thick in the California mountains over there. All right, let's go over there, boys. 
Since it was such a beautiful spring night, the pair decided to camp about a mile and a half from the Kenosha house instead of renting a room at the inn. They were witnessed by several parties cooking, drinking, laughing, and just overall elated at the prospects Bannock mm. had to offer. Sounds like a typical West uh, Wednesday night here. On the Old West, uh, definitely. Yeah. You gotta be partying, drinking, and laughing. They're not even a state yet, they're a territory, <laughs> so you have to. The next morning, the owner of the Kenosha house, George W. Harriman, noticed three oxen grazing in front of the tavern that he recognized as Binkley and Shoops. Since he had business up the Denver Road anyways, George figured he'd be a pal and drive them up there before they got too worried about them missing. When George pulled up to the scene, there was no sign of either man. Then, to his shock, they spotted Binkley, 65 yards from his wagon, face down in a puddle of blood, with his pockets turned out and his money gone. Yeah, that's not good. I... I... I feel like I remember this part mm-hmm. from before the oxen. And I, I remember asking the same question. How did they identify they were his oxen? Did they have like Versace tags on their ears or something? Like what? How did they know they're his? I guess it's like cars today. Okay. You just know people's specific animals, I mm. guess. <laughs> if Like for you, I know it's you if I see the Yosemite Sam back off uh, mud flaps. Exactly. So I know that's Adam right there. And the truck nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Binkley had been shot through the back, and the ball came to rest right beneath the skin of his chest. At this time, more travelers passing down the road stopped and helped George try and find Shoop, or at least his body. Eventually, they found footprints that they presumed to be his, and then further down the road, they found his coat, which had been flung to the ground. Eventually, he was found 400 yards away from the wagon. He had been stabbed three times in the chest and hideously mutilated on his face. He, too, had been robbed, as Shoop and Binkley definitely set out with either 140 or $150. That's like Bezos money during this time. That's to get their whole new claim set up up in Bannock. So, so the one guy was shot with a, not a musket, Gun, I, is that what they call them? Uh, the pistols at the time were black powder. Yeah, uh, so, like, but they shoot like the mm-hmm. the the ball or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and then obviously they didn't have forty five minutes to reload their gun, so mm-hmm. they had to stab this guy. So that's the that's you're exactly <laughs> right. They oh. didn't have time to reload all goddamn six chambers. I'm only I only know kind of about the 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 ball thing because. My father, Rick, loves, that's like his preferred hunting meth- method is with a muzzleloader. Yeah, black powder, man. So muzzleloader. He, he loves it. He loves the challenge of it. That shit's really fun. Have you ever <laughs> yeah. shot a black powder? Uh-uh. It's really fun. You should shoot Rick's, you should go down there and shoot Rick's old uh, muzzleloader. He, I, I'm always like, Dad, do you have to dress like a frontiersman when you go out? <laughs> but he says, it hides you from the deer, so I don't question that's him. That's right. He covers himself in deer blood and goes out there. Shoop and Binkley were well-known in the community as peaceable, quiet, and respectable citizens. It was determined then and there that these murders were connected to the others. The 1st Regiment of the Colorado Volunteers were called upon to perform police duties, since most of the Colorado Territory lacked civilian law enforcement. They were known as both the Firsters and the Onesters, and they were some arrogant, cocky mofos. Mm, Okay, so these guys would be at 8chan right now. No. (laughs) These guys are are like the they think they're rangers, but they're kind of they think they're spec ops, right? Like the airsoft. So these would be the airsoft boys, exactly. Right now. Okay, and they're mostly just like ruffians and brigands, or, or at least that's what they the 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 news would lead us to believe. <laughs> or like the uh, 
13 year olds on xbox live that call you the n-word and that they're trained guerrilla yeah. snipers that yeah. can operate anywhere in the that, world that's my favorite meme when they have the copy copy pasta the threatening one is like i was a secret ops marine and i kill i have 400 confirmed kills you know i can get you about? any place anytime yeah. pussy that's my favorite one that's great while two or three murders over a span of nine or ten days isn't particularly noteworthy in a frontier setting, it was the horrifying, angry nature that the slangs were carried out in that gave residents reason to fear. And when the total was raised to five a few days later, the panic was unavoidable. Even the hardiest of settlers were filled with dread and fear of the unknown, which is technically their entire lives as homesteaders. In these early stages of the investigation, the working theory was Confederate guerrillas were carrying out these murders, and the territory did have the right to think that way. In the first mad rush to Colorado in 1859, it was Georgians who made the first big score. In fact, up until the Civil War broke out, there might have been more Southerners than Yankees working the mines. Although there were disputes and altercations on a personal level, Colorado was able to escape most of the awful bloody conflict that turned neighbor on neighbor. There was that many Southerners there. God so damn. So many. God damn. They were all like, woohoo, easy riches, bub. They were like, roll tide. That's it. No, the Bulldogs, Georgia Bulldogs, I don't know what they're saying is. Woof, woof. <laughs> <laughs> Very early in the war, the territorial government of Colorado sided wholeheartedly with Lincoln. <sighs> but this doesn't mean that the territory was free from Confederate activity. In the late summer of 1862, 35 men, led by Captain George Madison, were supposedly sent in advance of a full Texas invasion to capture government trains and disrupt the mail. They're fucking with Texas, huh? Always. Really? Okay. Guess they're not a fan of their barbecue. No, Texas is fucking with them. <laughs> oh, okay. They sent in Captain George and stuff as an advance search party. So this is how the Spurs and Nuggets rivalry started. Wow, <laughs> I think you figured it out. Because, yeah, that's why they were there. They were there to steal the gold. And the uh, Texans and Broncos rival. Here we go. Wow. Wait, what's the other? Oh, Cowboys and Broncos. Oilers <laughs> and Broncos. Oilers and Broncos. Oh, we're playing the Oilers tomorrow. We're playing the, Tennis <sighs> the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, kind of yeah. scared. I'm, I'm in the point where it's just like, just give up. They're really bad. The yeah. Vikings are. Yeah, just give up. Let's. Get rid of Kirk Cousins. Get one. Let's get Candace's quarterback. That's what I want. Yes. Trevor, tank for Trevor. Tank let's for Trevi. Federal troops were dispatched from Fort Garland to seek and destroy, but Captain Madison and his merry band of rebels slipped off, and the Texas invasion of the Colorado Territory never materialized. In early 1863, another rebel gang rose up, headed by Charlie Harrison, a Denver gambler and saloon operator. His objective was to find as many like-minded souls as he could, take the gold stored in Denver, and bring it to Jefferson Davis himself to become an immediate Confederate hero. That that could could have, could have that changed the tide of the war? I don't think so. Not I enough. think th as uh, according to the great late great Shelby Foote, Civil War historian, mm. the Union won that war with one arm tied behind its back. If it okay. really wanted to, it could have it could have squashed everything. So basically, according to him, the Union was the Indianapolis Colts, and the South was the Minnesota Vikings last weekend. That's exactly just it. Obliterated them, and they would have just laid down and took it like the little baby Minnesota Vikings they are. 
Did, okay, does that guy is this guy a podcast or whatever you're just talking about? Shelby Foot? No, uh, he's on the Ken Burns Civil War series. Gotcha. Okay. Does it sound like he has a raging heart erection the entire time he's talking about it, like Dan Carlin? No, he's okay. so like laid he, back he, and he he can just talk about it without getting sexually excited. Mm-hmm. He I'm... doesn't start foaming at the dick. <laughs> I'm trying to get Dan Carlin to send us hate mail. He does foam at the dick. He oh, absolutely. He loves the war. <laughs> Fortunately for the Union. This group got tangled up in Osage Native American territory, where they tried to take a shortcut. The Osages beheaded all but two of Harrison's party. Oh, are they known for beheading? I don't know. I don't know anything about the Osage. I've always heard the scalping, but I mean, Osage was one of our rivals in Iowa, but I don't don't know if they beheaded the students when he came to play basketball against them. Oh, Oh, yeah? There's a town called Osage? Yeah, Osage Trojans, maybe? Hmm. That might have been their team name. What were you? Crestwood Cadets. The Cadets. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a muscle. It's like a guy flexing. That's the logo. It's pretty stupid. Weird. Yeah, it looks like a molesting coach who's flexing. It's really creepy, kind of. That's the Crest. That's weird. Crestwood Cadets. Boom. Crestwood Hans and Franzes. You were the St. Paul Packers. South St. Paul. Paul Packers. It is a separate city. Don't you ever, ever (laughs) think it's part of St. Paul. I will never do that again. It was an easy dot to connect for anyone living in the territory at the time. The public was really leaning heavily on the Firsters to come onto the scene. They were the citizens' only line of defense, and if they didn't respond, they were on their own. When you said that, all I could think about was... Men in black? No, the Firsters always come first. That's... The firsters always come first. <laughs> they don't care about nobody's orgasm but their own. Mm-hmm. And ride to Kenosha House they did. The firsters had a special reason to zealously pursue this case. Abram Shoup was First Lieutenant George Shoup's baby brother. And George was the most respected officer in the whole mm, regiment. Okay, so yeah, he has more of a reason to find this shit out. Lieutenant Shoup was a diligent journaler. But the problem is, he didn't put much emotion behind his words. This entry from April 14th is from the day he found out his brother was murdered. Received intelligence that my brother Nelson has been murdered by a lawless desperado in South Park. My brother was a very quiet, inoffensive man. The murder was a cold-blooded butchery. I've never heard of inoffensive man. Right. That seems Uh, almost like an insult. I can't... I mean, you have to go out of your way to be in an in in an offensive. Yeah, you have right? to work hard to be inoffensive. Sounds like that's like the opposite of us. Yes, it is. It's <laughs> we go for the easiest, lowest hanging yeah, jokes we can. Absolutely. The men of the firsters were raring to go help their lieutenant get vengeance, and they were known to deal out almost exclusively rough justice. A very prominent journalist from the News Weekly called them nothing but chicken thieves, ruffians. Turbulent, seditious, and a disgrace to themselves and their country. However, in the same article, the reporter said there isn't a manlier, better disposed thousand men in the United States Armed Services as the first Coloradans. Chicken thieves was that powerful. Chicken thieves. Of an, of an insult. You're like, not only are you a coward for stealing, but you're a hungry coward because you have to steal chickens. Okay. So you're poor. Right. You're hungry, and you're worthless. You're a little chicken thief. Maybe his last name was Tyson. 
Oh, no, they just steal the labor from all the hardworking chicken farmers of America. <laughs> True. On April 15th, 41sters were dispatched to the California Gulch in the South Park area to provide security to the population and hunt down the supposed rebel guerrillas. After a three-day march from Denver, the 40 men arrived at Kenosha House, and the following morning, on April 18th, the search began in earnest. Lieutenant Wilson, the officer in charge of this detail, described what he put his men through, saying they regularly rode 50-plus miles a day and helped escort the mail and any travelers they could. Until April 25th, the hunt for the killers turned up nothing more than saddle sores, but then the killers struck again. Not secretly, in the middle of the night, or off the beaten path like the other times, but this time in broad daylight and in front of witnesses. This is bold. Here's the other... Is it... Is it normal to ride 50 miles on a horse? Certainly not. Okay. You, you don't do that, usually. Especially over this rough terrain. There's a lot of hills, a lot of valleys, a lot of riverbeds, stuff like that. The, uh, what's his name from True Grit, the remake, uh, the guy killed his horse riding it too hard. Mm-hmm. What is his name? What can they think of Big Lebowski? Can they think of his fucking name? Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, yes, so... Rooster Cogburn. I imagine. Did you just watch that? No, 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 no. I well, I I imagine saddle sores, and I also imagine a lot of the men had hemorrhoids, probably. Without a doubt, <laughs> everyone's asshole had a lesion. <laughs> Mister Carter and Mister Metcalf were complete strangers who were driving their wagons full of lumber down the Denver road. At some point, Mister Carter passed Mister Metcalf's slow-moving cart. With a friendly wave. <laughs> Not the middle finger like today. Fuck yeah. <laughs> get, out of the, get out of the fast lane, you fucking prick. <laughs> Metcalf was enjoying the ride and completely unconcerned. In fact, he was reading a copy of the newly printed Emancipation Proclamation and Hell soaking yeah. in the waning spring daylight. I miss the days when you can drive and read. Yep, yep, yep. I wish we could do it today. Well, but... uh, what's-his-name is trying to make that happen? Mr. Tesla, Elon Musk. There's been a few accidents. <laughs> I love the videos of the guys sleeping, though. Those are just the best. <laughs> autopilot does not mean autopilot yet. No, not quite yet. Mr. Carter, up ahead, was then stopped by two mounted men, one large and formidable-looking and the other smaller. Both appeared dark complexion, either black or Mexican, but could be white guys in blackface as far as Carter could tell. Mm. One of them drew and shot Mr. Carter in the heart, killing him instantly. His body was then dragged a few yards and thrown in a snowbank where his head was mutilated viciously with a tomahawk. The killers rifled his pockets and stole his coat. Here's what I'm... Are, are they mutilating their face to, like, hide their identity? You know what I mean? Well, I think you, I Ooh, think you will find out pretty here we soon. Go. As the assailants were finishing up with Mr. Carter... Mr. Metcalf came ambling down the Denver Road on his ox wagon. The murderers hid themselves in brush by the roadside, and when Metcalf got within a hundred yards, they cracked off a shot, which hit him right in the left breast. Luckily, along with the Emancipation Proclamation, his left breast pocket was stuffed with all of his mail for the month. He was bruised but unhurt. Wow. The ball hit him in the mail and bounced off. <sighs> this is why we need to bring back, like, thick parchment paper letters nah i you really never know when you're gonna be you never know when you're gonna be shot at i'll just take all the junk mail that's at my <laughs> parents house in my name you take all them credit card offers keep it in your front pocket constantly you're gonna be 
damn near immortal. You're Iron Man. Yeah. Like, you can't penetrate all mm-hmm. those Capital One, American Express, uh, Wells Fargo. You're approved. Now, You're pre-approved. Now you can just take all the political ads you keep getting. Oh, my Put God. them all in there. I got signed up for, a, like, a Trump mailer. I got Trump mail. You got Trump? I, I keep getting Trump texts. Oh, my. It's like multiple people saying basic rhetoric, like Trump is being tormented by the demo or demon rats and blah, demon blah, blah. Demon rats? You've never heard that before? Uh-uh. Yeah, Democrat. Instead of Democrats, it's Democrats. That's or really Demoncrats good. Demoncrats. That's really it's- good. If you hear somebody say that, run immediately because they're probably insane. That's, oh. That's a yeah. bad word that I'm not going to say. Yeah, we. I'll tell you after the show, did you see his newest uh, order he's working on? No. Mr. Trump, we'll talk about it after. It's too controversial. Excellent. <laughs> the gunshot and the smell of Mr. Carter's blood sent Metcalf's ox team into a frenzy, helping Metcalf zigzag to safety amidst more gunfire. A man named Allen was staying at the nearby Cottage Grove House Tavern and Inn and heard the gunshots, so he hopped up, grabbed his rifle, and ran towards the danger, just as Metcalf and his out-of-control oxen went screaming past. Allen got a good look at the killers, and even a shot or two, but they were able to escape into the dusk. Kind of like this Allen guy. He's got some balls. He just hopped up right out of bed, Mm. grabbed his rifle, (laughs) probably in his gosh damn prospector undershorts, and just started running. Usually when I wake up, I don't grab a gun. I just say, Shut the fuck up. I'm trying to sleep here. If I wake up and hear gunfire, I'm I'm not grabbing a gun and going anywhere. Although, if you woke up, like, let's say we're sleeping. Obviously, we have walls. Like, a fucking train of oxens come marching through my wall. I think I might grab my gun at that point. It's Yes. I'm like, first off, how did you guys get upstairs? Second off, where did you come? Who the hell has oxen anymore? Mm-hmm. And can you, third off, can you calm them down? Because they're very large. I'll just say this. When we finally have a Bumblebutt live show, we're going to have oxen oxen petting zoo outside. Are we? We have to. Well, now that you said that, oxen rides for the family. For the family, we'll get a little saddle for the kids and the parents and get your picture taken. (laughs) On an oxen. They're sick of these fucking elephants and camels. They want to ride oxen. Seriously. (laughs) Metcalf left his freaking out oxen and cart at the Cottage Grove house and ran the three miles to Fair Play, where the Firsters were staying. What is this fucking Forrest Gump? Jesus Christ. (laughs) Everybody's got to just haul ass (laughs) around Colorado. He was screaming about the incident on the road and seeing Mr. Carter mutilated. The whole town was aroused now. Half of the Firsters and 30 townsfolk went to recover Carter's body and to give chase in the direction the assailants ran off in. I'd be surprised if half of them were sober. They They had to be drinking. They were were drunk and angry. (laughs) This mob was able to follow the murderer's tracks all the way to the Platte River, which is about five miles away. But from there, the trail was lost completely. That very same evening, the killer struck again killing and mutilating two more victims at Red Hill Pass on the main road between Denver and Fairplay, which is another extremely exposed location. They were getting ballsier and angrier, it seemed. So the exact same day. God damn. They don't... So they don't really care at all. 
They're just killing and I'm assuming robbing, right? Killing and robbing. Yeah, that's and mutilating. That's they, the that's the big three. Kill, rob, mutilate. But they uh they just anybody they see, you're gonna be their target. That's what it seems, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The dead men at Red Hill Pass were named Fred Lehman and Saul Soiga. They and a group of their neighbors were returning from Central City, where Lehman had testified in district court against a known rustler named George W. Brown, who was accused of rustling ten of Lehman's mules the previous fall. Rustling, stealing, right? That's correct. Okay. You can't steal that. No, they they Bastards. string you up for that. They hang you for rustling. Uh, right now, in this point of the story, I'm suspecting that that donkey... We talked about him before, the donkey sheriff... His little mini mule backup. I think he's the killer, but I'm not sure. That's who I think's killing all the these mini people. mule. Yeah, Pico's the the donkey sheriff. I can't remember his name now. <laughs> Is that the donkey? I think so. Well, the little donkey that's with him. I think he's the murderer. He's okay. had enough of it. I think okay. he's kill- He wants to start his own sheriff thing. I get it. I get it. You can only stay in the shadows for so long. <laughs> Lemon and Soiga were ambushed at the narrowest part of the path where you were forced to walk your horse through a corridor in the mountain. Soiga was shot in the heart and killed instantly. Lehman didn't go down that easy. He was shot through the left arm and equipped with a Colt Navy revolver he got in a running gunfight with the assailants all the way down the hill, but he was fatally shot through the gut. Okay, now I'm starting to think it might be Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> I mean, with these guns, shooting him right in the heart, I know. That's a hell of a fucking shot. And it's all the time. And he would have shot Mr. Metcalf in the heart, too, if he didn't have his goddamn mail in there. Right. And that was from 100 yards. It's original pacemaker, a bunch of mail. Serious. (laughs) But that's how a... It's an 1800s defibrillator. You put all your mail in your pocket. Shoot me, honey. (laughs) Jolts are hard to back away. Don't miss, honey. (laughs) Actually, go ahead. Either you kill me or this heart attack does. One or the other. (laughs) The three neighbors who traveled with them to court came on the blood-soaked scene not half an hour later after the slayings had occurred. To their shock and horror, they found Soiga and Lehman not only shot but savagely tomahawked about the head and neck. Ah, same thing. They found Layman's tie pinned to a tree. <clears throat> which which there was something written in Mexican, something that vengeance was to be wrecked on Americans and sacrificed to the virgin. What the fuck is that? They found Layman's tie pinned to the tree with that message written on it. That okay. this was this was vengeance to be wrought upon the Americans and also a sacrifice to the Virgin. I goddamn I don't know if the Pope's doing this or what, but it's just that's cryptic. And the Virgin, so you know they're Catholic. Yes. They have to be Catholic yes. of some sort, so okay. This evidence, along with Mr. Metcalf and Alan's eyeball witness accounts of the physical appearance of the duo, proved that these were no rebel guerrillas at all but Latinos conducting some sort of vendetta against the whites. At the time in the South Park Range, Mexicans were seen as meek, humble, illiterate, superstitious, and most importantly, harmless laborers. They had the market cornered on running the machinery that refined the ore brought back from the mines, as well as selling the firewood everybody used for heat. So they're probably mad that white people are treating them like shit. If I were to guess, I would say that they are very mad that the white people are treating them like shit and... Mm, stealing their... Land. Gold. 
and land. Isn't that technically uh, Napoleon's fault? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. and the Spaniards. Not out here. That's a little more yeah. our direction, mm. the uh, the purchase. But, right. Mm-hmm. But I think the Spaniards um, were the first ones to lay waste to their culture. Definitely, out Fucking that way Spaniards. for sure. Overnight, that all changed. It was an immediate regression to tribal racism, and by Monday, every Latino in South Park, actually every dark-complexioned person, was regarded with fear and suspicion. That's not good. On April 28th, two men from the Mosquito Mining Camp rode into California Gulch to report the deaths of Lehman and Soiga. Shortly afterwards, representatives from the Buckskin Joe Mining Camp arrived, and a council was called. For the purpose of raising manins and funds to ferret out and bring speedy justice to the murderers of their comrades. John McCannon <laughs> regarded himself as a leader of men. By the time he appears in the history books, he is already a captain in the Union Army, but he may have earned that title amongst the anti-slavery supporters in the Bleeding Kansas Troubles. Did he make up his last name? McCannon? Come on. He made up his title, so why not? He was he was called captain, and then when he joined the army, they made him a captain right away. Well, you going to be Mick Minigun? Like, are you going to change your name to that Mick uh, <laughs> anti-aircraft? Gun? Mick, Mick Apache attack helicopter. <laughs> I want to be Mick. Uh, what's the one that Rackstraw stole? I can't think of the name of it. Loach helicopter. I'm, oh, yeah, the Loach. I'm yeah. Cody Mick Loach surveillance helicopter. That's great. A little quick note about bleeding Kansas. Hmm. Uh, Kansas was about to graduate from territory to a state. And the North and South were fighting over whether or not it would be a slave state or not. And this happened in 92? 90, what? <laughs> I'm just joking. Okay. <laughs> like Kansas is oh, really 19, backwards. I, yeah. I got you. Okay. I got you. It, you, does Kansas border Iowa? Yeah, of course. Missouri yeah. doesn't. I think Kansas touches like six states. They're a touchy state. They're a touchy yeah. bunch. Now they're all cocky because they got fucking Patrick Mahomes, oh, bastards. They got a ring. And you look like, and you got, um, what's his name, the coach? Andy Reid, who looks like the walrus guy from uh woody woodpecker again think of his name i'll tell you what fans google it it looks that he's got a thick ass mustache yeah. just like that guy yeah i'm trying to th- and also wilford brimley a little bit <laughs> at the mining camp council john mccannon put forth a list with 17 names on it with himself as the leader okay the fellowship would bring the killers of lemon and soiga to justice at the height of the Colorado Gold Rush in 1859, 10,000 men swarmed to Buckskin Joe and Mosquito, but by 1863, there were only 500 permanent residents between the two camps. They were broke and bored, so the opportunity to go sport hunting killers was way more appetizing than continuing to toil away in the mines which kept failing to produce gold. Okay, alright, I guess you probably get bored of mining and marrying your cousins, so... Uh, almost certainly. Almost certainly. <laughs> and watching would. the Nuggets games. Yes. I mean, how often can you watch them not make it? <laughs> the more prosperous citizens of the camps pooled together their cash and were able to outfit Captain McCannon and his party with everything they requested. Why are you giving him everything? They're, they're the chosen ones. I they're the guess. fellowship of the of of, of Soyega and Layman. Come on. They set off on the trail to South Park on April 29th. Their first stop was at Philo Weston's Wayhouse, where they picked up their pack animals 
and where they were supposed to meet up with fighting men from other mining camps in the area. When McCannon walked into Philo's tavern, however, he found, When I got there, to my surprise, only ten men presented themselves, and they were sent without animals, provisions, or money, and with the request that we furnished them with provisions and animals. This I had no right to do, and should not have to do so if I had. Those men returned home, leaving us to our own resources. Okay. Fuck yeah. Animal, I'm guessing animals, horses, oxen. Pack animals, yep. Pack animals, mm-hmm. okay. So they're not probably going to have any reindeer or anything like that. Correct. Nor okay. would anybody ever. Norwegians. Yes, we're in America, in Colorado. You'd be surprised how much a reindeer can carry. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen a man ride one on the on the TV. A man with a eating disorder named Santa Claus. Yes. Who weighs damn near half a ton. Those 12 reindeer haul his fat ass up into the sky. He's, he's a binge eater. He is. I mean, I can't blame him. You're, you sit around for, what, 364 days Over, not doing shit? Yeah, so. you're just a warehouse manager, basically, <laughs> while your elves just produce. What if he's like the... They have to hire him to work Amazon Primes like oh, where else now? Like, Bezos runs job. Santa. He has like twelve robotic Bezos sponsored Amazon Prime reindeer that haul his ass around now. No one's safe from Jeff Bezos. No, absolutely not. Even Santa Claus is getting bought out. I can't wait till that goddamn Japanese Gundam has a big Prime smiley face on it. Oh, you know it's gonna. It's will. Captain McCannon decided to send seven mounted men up north to clear out an outlaw gang of thieves and murderers that marauded Buckskin Joe and Mosquito in the past. Now everyone involved at this point knows that this gang isn't responsible for the murders of Layman and Soiga, but when you release a dickhead bulldog like McCannon and give him authority, he's going to clean up unrelated problems. It's kind of like Jaws. They they say there's a shark. Everybody starts killing every shark in sight, but the the real target they haven't captured. And it's a it's a monster. Yeah, you're punishing a whole population for for the the big monster you're actually right. looking for. Later, after all of this, the captain would lead a slaughter of a peaceful Cheyenne tribe, and then he would go on speaking tours where he would reenact it. He loved it, so that kind of shows uh... you. The kind of character that Mr. He, McCannon is. He's a piece of shit. Mm. Common thievery should have taken a backseat to serial murder, but these guys were bored and angry. They lynched a wholly innocent man named Baxter because they thought he might have been associated with George W. Brown, who Lehman had testified against in district court. Gotcha. Okay. He was not a known associate. He wasn't an, a member of the gang. They just knew that he might know him, and they went there and lynched him. I mean, I guess it's why the term lynch mob means can be very dangerous. Yes. You get too many people riled up and then they just do something without thinking. I want to make it clear here that Captain McCannon and his merry gang of vigilantes were in no way associated with the Firsters or the U.S. Armed Service at all. They were merely citizens. Okay. With seven of his 17 men scouting the northeast region of South Park, he split his remaining 10 into two groups. This alone shows that, while McCannon might be a disagreeable, cocky, bullish asshole, he has a sound mind for tactics. Okay. He used one group to execute a flank that would drive the killers down the range, and the other half would cut off the only routes of escape, hopefully encircling the criminal. 
smash cut over to the Wonsters, who are the ones that are officially charged with settling these murders. In an interview with the Weekly Commonwealth that was published on May 23rd, 1863, Lieutenant Wilson of Company F has this to say. We were frequently on the murderer's trail, but were foiled several times before falling snow. We were on the trail within a few miles of Cannon City when the vigilantes from the mining camps intersected us, and since we were worn out, we gave up the chase to the citizens, who from being personal friends of the murdered man and being afoot with pack animals, were likely to leave no stone unturned in their pursuit. This seems utterly bananas, but Lieutenant Wilson straight up admitted to giving up an active trail to civilian vigilantes because him and his men were tuckered out. I ran out of whiskey. That could be. That could be. I mean, be. honestly, he probably didn't want to eat any of his cohorts. He's like, we don't need to get stuck out here. At this time, I believe it was called corn mash and not whiskey. <laughs> really? I okay. think so. I think they called it mash and not whiskeyed out this way. But I don't know. I, I could be wrong. I bet that's like those videos I've seen where it's like the moonshiners and they make the moonshine and then they like clean that, I guess it's a mash out of it and throw it out. Have you ever seen that? Mm hmm. And then the poor wild pigs eat it and get shit faced and fall over. Fuck those wild pigs anyway. <laughs> Boars are a problem. Kill them all. Okay. So McCannon is now in charge in an official capacity. Two of his trusted men that he sent east, Lamb and Yates found horse tracks after two days of hard scouting and followed them to an abandoned mining shack in the Platte Canyon. In the doorway, they found fresh kindling and logs, as if someone or some ones were about to set up camp, but then thought better of it and ran off. With these suspicions in hand, they rode back to rendezvous with McCannon and get the rest of the posse over there for a possible confrontation. Isn't this risky, though? Because I would assume there'd be horse tracks everywhere, and... I don't think there was a red roof in. You just kind of had to... Anybody, you just had to kind of camp anywhere, right? This is super off of, like, the main like, thoroughfare. Okay. The, where they ended up um, in this canyon here, there's an abandoned mining shack that's, like, literally it was just an out outpost okay. for a mining company, okay. basically. Okay, so it'd probably be the perfect spot for shady individuals. <sighs> Lay low. Me. Okay. They were closing the gap with every passing hour. Once they got past the petrified stump forest, they found still fresh horse dropping, as well as a campsite with active coals. The men could feel the anxiety of confronting these savage murderers growing as they got closer, and it drove one man over the edge. Captain McCannon had this to say about it. Before I read this, I'm picturing McCannon picking up a piece of horse shit and, like, biting it. Oh, yeah, it's still warm. Still warm. They're close, yeah. god damn it. The worms are still wriggling. <laughs> <laughs> to the astonishment of all of us, John Endelman began to sing and scream at random times, and it being a serious affair, and we couldn't send him back or leave, I detailed two of the brawnest men to keep a steady watch on him and gag or incapacitate him if he became too noisy. <laughs> Why is he singing? Is that what he does when he's nervous? I guess. He, he, he okay. just had an exhausted mental breakdown. So now it's just they're sneaking along and it'll be like So, so if, if any of us start singing randomly for no reason we should probably take them somewhere. We need to find brawny men and, <laughs> and hold them down. <laughs> I'm just envisioning like 
big muscular men with like a really tiny uh vest on like hell yeah <laughs> or the singlette and they're carrying their triangle weights yeah. around with them <laughs> you just kind of like barely pick them up and move them away <laughs> <laughs> on may 8th the exhausted miners made camp in oil creek things were about to get a lot harder for the posse because the trail led into a maze of high barren mountains and deep ambush perfect canyons very dangerous the moon was full and provided more than enough light to see by, so McCannon called for seven men to march through the night with only their pistols and canteens to close the distance silently. The brave seven ventured up the steep shale cliffs, and in these rocky, inhospitable hills, the men passed what they called one of the coldest nights imaginable, with nothing but a bush and each other for warmth. Wouldn't, wouldn't the lamps kind of, like, make it apparent that they're walking, though? They had no lamps. Canteen Wait, is a uh, water. Oh, yeah. I'm an idiot. Okay. For some reason, I just pictured Lantern. The... Yeah. So Lantern, for some reason, canteen. I thought that was... <laughs> I okay. could see it. I could see it for sure. Okay. That makes sense. And the moon has just enough light where they can move. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got to be rattlesnaked. Oh, there is. There's all kinds of bullshit out Ooh. there. By daybreak, these men's joints were creaking from the march. They were starving, dehydrated, exhausted, and coursing with adrenaline. They moved stealthily another two and a half miles southeastward and eventually reached the head of a ravine which stopped in a box canyon. Grazing on the southern edge of the picturesque scene in a little park of grass were two hobbled, lathered horses. I don't like that. Here, I hate to say, brilliant Captain McCannon shines again. He sent four men to spread themselves out in the, in the ravine bed while six more would spread out above. If everything went correctly... They would have the murderers encircled and killed or captured. So he did the sand people tactic. They walk in a straight line to hide their numbers. <laughs> Isn't that like Luke goes see the cannon, all the Tuscan Raiders? Are, uh, are they Tuscan Raiders? That's I right. Think, and that's right. Shooting. Okay. So he, he knows how to, do we know, is he like prolific at capturing people kind of? Yeah, he like just seems to have of... a natural ability for it. He has no military training yet. He just seems to know how to lead people, and it's like he's thought about. It's like he's played tactic games before, <laughs> way before that's possible. I was going to say he probably said I'm playing a lot of COD or Command and Conquer. He just he just knows how it works. Knows where to construct those pylons. He made up his last name, gave himself a fancy fucking title. Apparently, McCannon. Now, the real question is, are we going to learn, are they going to entrap him in here? I think we're going to have to learn on part two. Hell yeah. Slash part final of the bloody Espinoza's mm. I can, Redux. I can tell you, this is a very different direction than what I remember from the first one. So we're building the store. We've got all the wacky characters. We've got a uh, very distinct... I guess, uh, not motive, but pattern of murders. Get shot. Apparently, they're sharpshooters. They hack their face up. So and got this, them all. this is a complete rewrite of the, of the, there's no, this is all new notes and stuff for mm. anybody that may have listened to the other one. Mm -hmm. Don't even think about it. This is all new stuff. I can tell you that simply the audio quality of this one will completely morph it. Yeah. It, and great. it'll you you guys might like us now finally. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you liked it and you want to hear more, you can let us know at bumblebuttpodcast.com. 
Hell yes. You can go to bumblebuttpodcast.com, fill out the form request, which we've gotten quite a few. Yeah, Very thank nice you. stuff. Thank you. Bumblebuttpodcast.com. It'll get you everything you need. Uh, uh, you don't even need to know about bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. But if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at bumblebuttpod, Facebook and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. Now it's time for the most important part of the show, and that's for you to hit the follow button right. on Spotify. Spotify is the king. Spotify is the lord. I like Spotify, but the thing I like the most is reading wonderful five-star reviews like the one that we got this week. Yes, we did. We, we've we gotten three of them, but only one written, but it's a very great written one, I'll say that. It's- Me too. It's titled, Love This Podcast by The Weather Channel Sucks. And I take umbrage with that because weather on the nines back before anything like that, as long as it was about to be nine on the minute hand, they were going to show the weather in, no, it's called Local on the Eights. I don't know what what you are talking about, but it sounds like some sort of time travel trickery. If you flip to the Weather (laughs) Channel... When the minute hand says 8 o'clock, or says 8, like if it's 7.58, right? Yeah. You flip it over the weather channel, and it's weather on the 8s, and it'll show you local weather. Oh, got you. Mm. Okay. See, I thought the person said this because if you go to the weather channel now, you might get, like, the little boxes your weather, right? Yeah. The rest of it is, like... Oh my god, fucking asteroid coming to Earth, we're all dead. Like, yep. that scare tactic shit is yep. everywhere. I don't know why they Ebola, decided Ebola. that. Way. I don't know why they thought, hey, let's make a weather channel into this shit. I don't know. But and anyway. then you want an hourly breakdown or something, or a weekly breakdown, and you just can't find can't it. On do it. it. Yeah. Can't all right, do go it. ahead, read the review from the weather channel sucks. I agree. So, I have been on a true crime podcast kick for about a year and a half. It's all I listen to. Well, that and my dad wrote a porno, which Adam (laughs) introduced me to. That's so cool. Uh, Listen to that if you haven't. Great. I listen to every episode of Morbid with Ash and Elena, Mm. and that's why we drink with M and Christine. Mm. I recently found Bumblebutt, and it has quickly became my all-time fave. These guys are just so fun to listen to. I love how they do voices of people in the episodes. I also just love their banter back and forth. This is a great podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. Love it. So that she's they're putting us with some pretty big company there. I would say. Uh, I know both of those podcasts are very, very popular. Well respected. Very yes, very much so. So thank, thank you, Weather you. Channel sucks. That was that was a great review. I you loved know, it. We're with you. Maybe one day Weather Channel is going to turn it around, not be a piece of shit, but I highly doubt it. I remember Weather Underground was the the site you were supposed to go to, weatherunderground.com. That was the new... You you shouldn't have to find the weather at a place called the Weather Underground. You should just be able to find the weather anywhere. (laughs) Theweatherblackmarket.com. Like, like, what the fuck? You have to use a special (laughs) void IP to get to the actual weather fork. You shouldn't have to do that. You need a Tor browser. Uh, (laughs) All right, guys. Buy a shirt. We have DB Coopers on sale right now. And I just saw the new print for next month. Hell yeah. So you're going to want to get on that. And you still have about three days left to get the Jordan print if you want that. On the $15 tier, that's Bowling for Satan Cult. Hell yeah. Patreon.com slash Bumblebutt Podcast. Do that very soon. 
Probably next week, we're going to have a brand new Patreon ex- episode coming Hell out. Hell yes. It's going to be awesome. Extra nasty. Extra nasty. <laughs> so oh, get after it. We got some people to thank, too. Oh my gosh, we got new Patreons. I almost blew right by them, and they are important <laughs> to absolutely, me. Absolutely, absolutely. And there, here's the other thing, guys. Um, I'm going to let you know our newest $15 a month uh, members. I'm going to be sending you... Last month's and the upcoming month's cards together. So you get the Jordan and the brand new ones. So hang Fuck tight yeah. for those. Fuck yeah. So we need to thank Julia. Thank you so much. Julia, you're the best. We need to thank Sarah. Thank you so much. Sarah, you're the best too. And we need to thank Nikaylee. Thank you so much. Nikaylee, you're the best. You guys are the best. Uh, if you want to support us, log on to the Patreon, log on to our website, get some shirts, get some stickers. Definitely uh, get DB Cooper before they sell before they sell out. Hell You're yeah. gonna want one before they sell out and go in the vault for God knows how long. <laughs> Probably won't come back. That's what I'm saying. That is a vintage remake of a classic shirt you cannot buy anymore. I can promise you that I look for it. It's beautiful. And I think you need one. Everyone. And and I want you to have a great night, everyone. <laughs> and I want you to have a nice weekend. That's gonna do it for Cody, and that's gonna do it for me. I've been Adam. Have a nice weekend unless it's Tuesday. Ah, McCannon. McCannon.